the energetic shift that's happening and that happened when we had September 11th, right? It's like a shakeup and it's like this call to action for us. Like, are we doing what we love to do? Because if we're not, it might be a good time to <laughs> pause and think about, you know, what could we do if we danced with the idea of impossibility, right? And thought, well, if I had this dream, instead of shutting down the idea of I could never do that, like, well, but what if I could? Or what if I could move just one step in the direction of that? And then the universe is going to give me feedback one way or another. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back to the show. Today we are talking about what's possible, especially during uncertain times. Joining us to have this conversation is Maria-Elena Rigo, who's the president and CEO of MER Leadership Design. She's an executive coach, facilitator, trainer with an expertise in leadership and communication. Maria-Elena works with individuals and organizations to create positive, lasting change by transforming executives into conscious, effective leaders. She has her master's degree in spiritual psychology, and she is a friend from childhood. Welcome, Marie. Thank you. So it's so funny how our paths keep connecting and how they've continued to do that. So we met in a theater group, musical theater group, when we were little girls. I think I was seven or eight. Really early on, yeah. Were you in it that young too? Because you're yeah, younger than I, me. Yeah. Yeah, we started. We started super early. I can still remember our outfits. I have dreams about them sometimes. The <laughs> navy blue pants with the red, bright red t-shirts with our names in white letters. And of mm-hmm. course, I had two lines because my name is two, two mm-hmm. words. Uh, so it took up the whole thing. And I, I still remember us, you know, performing in all the different places we performed. Yeah, it was a great experience. I wonder how much that's shaped us as leaders. I feel like it did to some degree. Would you agree with that? Because that, I mean, getting up on stage, doing solos in front of hundreds of people in theaters or some of the acting when we were so young, I loved it. I, I remember getting a little bit nervous, but the second I was on stage, I was so at home. I loved it too. I was a little nervous if I had a solo, but in a group, I was just, it was so fun. And I remember my mother very early on saying, all my kids will be in musical theater because it helps build their self-esteem and then you can be up in front of people and it's going to be great for you long-term. And she, you know, she made my, both of my brothers do it. One was more willing. My older brother was more willing. My younger brother was less willing, but we all did it for, for many, many years. And, you know, I think about that now when I stand up in front of a room to present or to facilitate and now it's easy for me. Right. So, you know, if you go back to the age of seven or eight and, you know, you have that skill set, you did something that was uncomfortable that pushed you out of your comfort zone you got more familiar with it. So therefore it became more comfortable. And then now what, 40, 40 odd, 40 something years later, 
Here I am. (laughs) (laughs) And then I randomly ran into you in New York City at an Ayurvedic doctor's office who I'd read about, and I think you had read about, and for our appointments to have been back-to-back, I just remember leaving, and I was like, oh my goodness, Marie-Elena. And I was there with one of my college friends who lived in New York, and I was staying with her. I'm like, what are the odds in New York City with millions and millions of people that I would run into in this random little place? That's amazing. I mean, I had read I had read her book, that doctor's book, and it mm-hmm. was all about natural, like glowing skin or something. And as soon as I read the book, I'm like, oh, she's here in New York. I've got to make an appointment with her. And you know, that was the day I think we ran into each other. So yeah, I don't know what what the odds are, but they're really small. They're really small. And it was funny because at the time, Ayurvedic medicine, none of that was really on my radar. So it must have been sort of early introductions to being open to different ways of thinking about wellness, which is now I've, I have so many naturopaths on the show. So it's kind of also interesting in terms of synchronicities. And then we realized we both had marketing backgrounds. We were both in marketing and we both had a passion for being in California. We had this dream that was in our heart. You left many years before I did. And then we reconnected on the West coast. I mean, it's just kind of, it's just interesting and both getting into the coaching and similar kind of stories to some degree and kind of parallel paths I think you know and your you know we each have our own unique version of what we're doing right so in my world it was you know marketing in New York City and PR and and that that whole world and communications and you know the journey to find you know to find what I was meant to do long term you know, took took a minute, right? Um, but I did end up landing here in California in 2003. I officially moved here. And then I remember us having some conversations and I was very keen <laughs> on having you come out and join and just kind of touted the, uh, touted the benefits of being out of uh, not only, you know, the, the craziness and the chaos of New York City, but the, the openness that I found here too holistic health and just a different way of thinking and being um, that I found was more conducive to the lifestyle I wanted to lead. Completely. And actually, you know, that's actually where I want to start. So let's get into your story because I think women that listen love understanding people's past, their journey, how they end up doing what they're doing, especially when they have expertise in a particular area, which you will share today in terms of leadership and communication. But in addition to marketing and PR and getting your master's in spiritual psychology, which is one of the things that I I still think I would have loved that program. Sounds so fascinating to me. I'd like to have you explain more about what that was. But you also did feng shui and now serve leaders and really help them become conscious and effective at what they do. So this is a really interesting path. Can you take us into your story and how it sort of unfolded for you? Sure. I mean, the idea of telling one story is kind of funny in itself, right? Because it's like it's almost like you you go into this place where you press play and then the words and the story comes out the same um, for most people. For me, what I've noticed is that each time someone asks me about it, I have a new awareness of what drove me to make a particular decision. So it might be spurred by a question someone asked me or, you know, like what yesterday I was talking to a client and she said, so what was the catalyst? Like what, you know, what made you shift? 
And I was like, oh, well, you know, I was in this Buddhist meditation center. And she was like, wait, hold on. I thought you were in New York City. And I was like, well, I was. But, you know, I had been, I think, you know, and I started to think about what the energetic catalyst was for me. And, you know, I had so much fun in working in PR agencies. I think it was one of the most fun experiences of my of my life because I was at, you know, I was in like my mid-20s and um, everyone was smart and everyone was creative. And, you know, there was such a sense of camaraderie in the workplace, you know, to work really hard and long hours and we'd go out for drinks and we'd laugh and we'd connect and we'd be with clients and with each other and, and with additional friends. And it was just a large kind of social group that was just super fun. And, uh, and, you know, I had set a goal at that time and it seems kind of random now, but I heard someone else say the other day that they, you know, had some random goal of being a VP by the time they were 29. So maybe I wasn't, or before the age of 30. So maybe I wasn't unique, but I had set this random goal of being a VP and making more than a hundred grand by the time I was 30 or before the age of 30. And, uh, and it was at that PR job that I, you know, a mentor of mine who I've reconnected with re- recently, who I just reviewed an article for, he posted on Medium uh, about education. He had seen, I guess, some leadership qualities in me. And he promoted me to vice president. Um, and I was 29 years old. And that was a real, that was a real, um, it was an interesting awareness to have that when I arrived, I got my little office, right? Because in New York, you rarely ever gotten an office. But when you got, you got to the VP level, you got an office and I had an office with a window. And I no sooner had moved in <laughs> than, um, I had received a call from a headhunter to, uh, for a different job that was, head of marketing and communications globally for this market research firm. And it had traveled to London. I would have a team in London. I'd have a team in New York. And it was kind of too good to pass up. It was like exciting. And I kind of knew like I would be expanding my world because PR was one, PR and communications was one world. And then this kind of expanded marketing, market research, marketing role would be, would be, you know, different and exciting. And then the international travel, I'd always had a flair for, you know, just international business, international culture, just knowing people are out there that are different than we are. Um, so I said yes to that job. And that job was super, super fun, with the exception of carrying my suitcase up and down this, um, the, I think it was 100 stairs in my sixth floor walk up on the Upper East Side of New York. <laughs> um, so I was traveling back and forth to London, and I would have to schlep that suitcase up and down mm-hmm. uh, every time I went to uh, went to London to see the team. And, uh, and that was, that was, I, I guess it wasn't that short lived, but it feels like a blip on the radar right now, only because it was before September 11th. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I think the energetic shift started to happen, right? So I was in this role and there was like, there was some pressure on the, you know, the economics of the company. They had restructured, they had reorganized, they got a new CEO, they got another new CEO. And every time they kept coming back to me into my department and saying, okay, now, now we need you to cut a few more heads. It was a British company. So they were really, that terminology was used. And, uh, and I just kind of sat there, you know, like cut heads. What a terrible term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one thing I knew that I was good at was leading a group of people. I was a nurturing manager. I loved people. I found them really interesting. I found their behaviors. I loved seeing them grow. I loved helping them grow. 
um, I could do the financial stuff and, you know, manage the P&L and the marketing thing was still interesting to me, but none of it was as interesting to me as the people and their growth. Um, so when they started saying this to me, I was like, wow, like, how do I do that? How do I even make a decision about this? And I remember feeling really sick to my stomach and I had to leave the office that day and, um, and I was really nauseous and I, I said, I wonder if I'm cut out for this. Like, I wonder if I'm cut out for, like, if I'm on the path to, you know, CMO somewhere, is is this the right path for me? Because this is going to be a part of my world. Yeah. And it just didn't feel right at that moment. And it was also at that time that I was kind of exploring feng shui. And I was, you know, uh, you know, I had hired someone to come into my home. And if you talk about synchronicity, I hired someone, I had read a book. Mm-hmm. In the back of the book, there were a list of consultants. I picked one who is in New York, she came to my home. And at that time, I was thinking about going back to school. Um, And I had a stack of MBA applications on the desk. And I had one application for the uh, New York School of Integrated Nutrition. And then when she came to my house to do the consultation, she had said that she had just gotten her master's degree in spiritual spiritual psychology. And I was like, really, what is that? That sounds mm-hmm. so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about getting my MBA, but part of me is like, well, do I really need an MBA? I've been kind of living an MBA the last few years of my professional career. And, uh, and so she told me about it and she said, it's in California. And I was like, oh, bummer. And she's like, no, 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 I commuted. I live in New York and I just commuted it once a month. You go, it's, it's a, you know, three day intensive program once a month and it's for two years. And then you go out you know, for a week after the first year and two weeks after the second year to do your practicum work. And I thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to call them. So I called for an application. The application arrived. I looked at it and I was like, I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing. Not doing the MBA. A little disappointed about the integrated school nutrition, but that was more of an interest in hobby versus a real calling uh, around psychology. So, you know, I signed up for that program and I started commuting back and forth. Um, to California in 2001, right after September 11th. So it was, wow. it was October, the er, the beginning of October and right after September 11th hit. And so there was all this energetic movement, I think happening both in my world and then globally. And then in my, uh, in my neighborhood in New York. And I think that that really between the telling people to or having to tell people that they were going to lose their jobs and then making a shift from that organization. I'm kind of skipping over, but I, after I left that job, I chose to leave that job because that was really, that was a really tough experience for me to have to lay people off. I'm glad that I had that experience because I help leaders with that now. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, what's my next move? I know I want to do this program, but I got to work as well. So Maybe I'll go into the non nonprofit world and see if I can I can give back somehow. I can be part of something that has purpose because I think most people are looking to do work in life that is purposeful. That was a great example of a few things. One was energy and how it plays a role in our lives of connecting to what's showing up for you and realizing that sometimes when things are disappointing, like being told you have to cut heads, it actually became an opportunity to make critical life decisions that really was aligned with where you should go. The synchronicities, both for us, for the feng shui person, 
the many synchronicities that sometimes we're not even aware of, or we realize years later that when we look back, like, oh, wow, that person came in at the time, or that relationship really taught me this. And, you know, not realizing that maybe it was, in fact, all aligned with your higher good. But you talked about unique gifts. And I think that that is an area where, especially during downtimes, where people are looking to innovate and pivot in their work, which everyone's needing to do, especially if you have in-person clients that you would normally work with, based on your leadership skills and coaching, what advice can you give to somebody about how to tap into those unique gifts? How, how does somebody discern and start getting clarity around what they're good at versus what's really kind of, you know, this phrase, the more of your, in your zone of genius. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think we all have had at least the people that I work with and myself have had those experiences where we're doing something that we love to do and it just feels really easy to us. And then we get really positive feedback from other people about their experience of us when we're in that zone. And that's, that's information. It's information for us. And, you know, a client of mine, um, this week we were talking and, and he's thinking about moving into coaching. He's in the mm. advertising world and he's on the client service side and he, he has been a client of mine for years. And, you know, I've always said to him, you, you'd be a great coach because you are the person that is focused on your team. Uh, you are totally attuned to where they are emotionally and you're dialed into what their growth trajectories are. You want to help them grow professionally. You're growing yourself professionally. I said, you make, and he always shied away from the coaching thing. And then now that this pandemic has happened and his job is on the line and he kind of knows it, uh, he, he's kind of dabbled in the idea of becoming a coach. And he was sharing with me, their friend asked him, he did firstly, he did a program where they asked him, he had to do an interview with some other people around what his zone of genius was. And all of the information that came back said, you'd be a great coach. Mm. And then a friend of his said, you know, when you go to the beach, uh, what, what do you take with you? What do you want to do while you're at the beach? If you've just got time on your hands, he's like, oh, I'd like to either listen to a podcast on personal or professional development, or I'd get like a book about professional development or leadership or, and that's information. That's mm-hmm. information, right? It's like people say, oh, you know, find your passion and live your passion. And a lot of people just sit and think, well, what is my passion? You know, I don't know if I have a passion. You know, my husband says that. I don't know what I'm passionate about. And I love sports, but I don't think I'm going to be like, you know, in the NBA right now to be realistic, right? right. But there are, there are ways to take what you are good at and what you've gotten positive feedback about and that you feel like it's graceful and easy for you and create some kind of way to serve with those gifts, right? And sometimes it just, it just, um, I was watching the show this morning. It was amazing. It's I do professional development, of course, every year for, for myself. And I'm overlapping two programs now, but one is about to end in August and one just began. I'm taking a accelerated um, coaching excellence course uh, with a guy that runs Google's 
leadership and executive coaching program. And our homework for our session today was to watch um, Chef's Table on Netflix with Alan, uh, I think his name is Alan Passard. He's a three-star Michelin chef in, in France. Mm. Um, and, and he was just sharing, he was sharing so much about dancing with the impossible. Oh, like I love that thinking phrase. about, oh, it was so cool. He's just like, you know, creativity has always been a part of my world. I loved food. I love to be around it. I love the creativity. Um, and then to just try to create something with the thing that you love that you then learn about and find that you're good at, right? Hmm. And he got positive feedback from the people that he was serving the food to, right? And so, and then he iterates, like the story is about how he iterates and changes. Um, and he goes from being, you know, a three-star Michelin chef to uh, that serves, you know, meat and is entirely focused on, you know, um, you know, carnivorous uh, cuisine to becoming a vegetable three-star Michelin chef uh, entirely focused on vegetables. And he got tons of bad press at the beginning, but now he, he kept the three Michelin stars because he found a new, a new level of creativity in a new form or medium, right? Wow. And I think that that's what we can all do. Like during this time of the pandemic, I think about it a lot in terms of the energetic shift that's happening and that happened when we had September 11th right? It's like a shakeup. And it's like this call to action for us. Like, are we doing what we love to do? Because if we're not, it might be a good time to pause and think about, right? you know, what could we do if we danced with the idea of impossibility, right? And thought, well, if I had this dream, instead of shutting down the idea of I could never do that, like, well, but what if I could? Or what if I could move just one step in the direction of that? And then the universe is going to give me feedback one way or another. Yeah, well, let's talk more about that and even questions or exercises people can do. Like the question you said, what was it? What What would you bring to the beach? What do you bring to the beach? Yeah, I thought that was a good one. Like, what would I you like bring that. to the beach if you go to the beach for the day? You know, what do you choose to bring? Do you bring like a, you know, a hot, steamy, you know, fiction book, you know, to just escape and get away or... You know, that's, that's really interesting. And there's information there. It's like you're looking for a new career or passion. All of a sudden, you're, you're bringing a podcast on leadership to the beach. Like, interesting, right? Yes, just more information. But what are some other questions people can journal around and think about? I love the question, you know, what, what would I do if money were no object? Yeah. How would I spend my time during the day if I didn't have to work? Yeah. Because there's information there, right? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what do I, what do I, uh, what do I do and lose track of time while doing it? Like, is there something that I do during the day and I lose track of time while doing it? A lot of people that are writers say that, like once they get into their zone of writing, they're like, they lose track of time. And that's not true for me, even though I'm a good writer. So that was information, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, I can write and I use writing in my work, but I'd much rather have a conversation with you than sit right. down at a computer and write. Right. So do you recommend to people to keep a journal or log or... Um, you know, I remember when I was dating my husband before we actually got married, he did a, a brainstorm for me. So I had friends from my work, 
from one of our high school friends was there um, that uh, I've known forever. Um, I think my, my older brother was there. And so what he did was he took a, a whiteboard and asked a series of questions. Like when you think, and I couldn't, the interesting part was that I couldn't weigh in. So mm-hmm. it was there perception of my skill sets, which was fascinating. So things that came up were advocacy for children, which was what I did for my charity work, uh, love of fashion, true, but not where I was going to go into. It was just kind of an interesting mix of communication, like different pieces. Um, So I have said to people sometimes, you know, ask three people that know you and they don't have to know you that well, because sometimes it's good to get a mix. Somebody who knows you professionally versus personally if they had to tell you, um, you know, what are the three things that you think of are, are my three strengths, what comes to mind? And it's incredible how much overlap you'll see by doing that. Because I've also done that exercise as well. Yeah, I mean, I think feedback is really interesting. And it just acts as a mirror, right, for us like the way that the process you described where someone else puts on a whiteboard what they see uh, as your gifts and strengths. And, you know, we often will, um, we may know that about ourselves, but it's really helpful to hear other people validate that for us. Mm -hmm. So, and then there, you know, there are times, you know, when I, when I talk about leadership and, and my work in coaching, you know, sometimes there are situations with staff where, people will think they're good at something and they're really not very good at it at all, right? There is sometimes, but that's far less frequent. Usually people know their strengths Mm -hmm. and what they're good at. And it's helpful to hear what someone else sees in you so that you can further um, anchor it inside of yourself. And then there's the, okay, well, now what do I do with it? Now that I have that information and that can be paralyzing for people. And one of the one of the greatest messages that I ever heard that I use all the time in my coaching is the universe meets us at the point of action. Mm -hmm. And other people say it as, you know, the universe rewards action versus thought. Uh, So I actually think that it's, that the thought part is really important. Like for me taking that 13 months to really pause and think about things. And even this pandemic can be a time for people to think about things. We have to avoid staying stuck in the thinking and move into the doing, even if we're scared, right? And that's where the risk comes in. It's like, well, even if we're uncertain, if we get an intuitive hit that we should move in a particular direction, then say yes to that. That's in the story of my whole life. It's like, you know, whether it was like, I remember when I was uh, waiting tables to pay my way through college, right? And uh, with my senior year, and I knew I wanted to live in Europe after school. That was just, I was just clear about that. I didn't know what I was going to do over there, but I just kind of wanted to get out of the US. That was my goal. And I was waiting tables one like, you know, Christmas break and I'm waiting on this guy and he was like very um, irreverent and he was kind of like, he was kind of playing with me a little bit with his conversation. He's like, well, what do you do? And I said, I'm a student. I'm going to graduate, you know, graduate in the spring. Um, And he's like, well, what do you study? And I said, classics. And I said, Latin and Greek. And I explained it to him because a lot of people had to explain what classics was. They were like, oh, what do you mean? Like literature? And I'm like, well, sort of Latin and Greek literature. 
And he's like, I know what classics are. And uh, he said, you know what? He said, our classics teacher just retired. And I said, really? I said, where do you work? He said, I work at the American School of The Hague in the Netherlands. Stop. See, this is another synchronicity. Come on. Oh, it's my whole life is like this. And so I said, you're kidding. And he said, no, I said, I really want to, I really want to work abroad. And he said, well, write, um, write your name down here. And at the back of the check, he gave me his name and the number, the name of the school and the name of the head of school or the principal at the school. And he said, who knows? He said, you know, and so I called and they interviewed me over the phone. And within a few months, I had a job offer, and that's where I went. I went to the, the American School of the Hague in the Netherlands, and I taught Latin music and drama for my first year out of school, and I lived there. So it's—I did not know this. Yeah. I did not know that part of your story. I loved that. So if you get that intuitive hit or some level of clarity around what you want to do, then just say to the—I don't know—the universe. Maybe it's people. Uh, your audience probably is open to that language, but you say to to the world, like, okay, I'm open to doing this now. Give me a sign, right? And then it then it shows up. But your part in it is to say yes. Okay, let's break this down more. So we have simple similar risk profiles in the sense that we enjoy it. I mean, I think a lot of people don't like change. Let's talk about the specifics of how to pay attention to those signs, because I think that life, God, the universe, whatever you want to say, is speaking to us all of the time. And our feelings are part of the barometer, are those intuitive hits that we either pay attention to or, or kind of kind of push to the side because we we haven't cultivated that relationship. So how do people, like, are there exercises either that you've taught your clients or that you use to cultivate that relationship to open that channel so that you can keep paying attention and be steered so it doesn't so you feel supported on the path versus so scared about it mm. the, the, the tool that I teach the most in leadership is is inquiry mm. that we can we can solve almost anything with inquiry with either asking ourselves a question or asking someone else a question or having a dialogue of questioning with uh, nature or the world around us. It's, you know, we can just ask. It's like, so, you know, what do I, what do I need to know right now? You just ask that question and then you go on with your life and something shows up and you have to awaken your senses. And this is what this guy on chef's table talked about too, is you know, the Michelin star chef, he was like, you have to cultivate the ability to use all of your senses, you know, and your five senses, of course, but that sixth sense of your intuition is, is, is so important. And you can do that just by inquiry and inquiry you can use with other people. You can ask them. So how did you get into your work or what inspires you or, you know, what unique gifts and talents do you have or what unique gifts and talents do you see that I have, like your, your husband did with you? It's like asking questions is the key to finding answers. That's what I think. And so that's one way, certainly, and one, you know, method you could use. You know, how, it doesn't really address this idea of risk, but the risk thing for me is, is about how willing are you to be uncomfortable for the sake of your own growth. Because there is no growth 
in your comfort zone. There's only growth in your zone of discomfort. And the more uncomfortable you are, the more growth you'll have. I love it. I love that. When you're doing that with your clients, is it a conscious practice of trying to connect them to that knowing? Or is it just a process whereby hearing themselves and getting clarity, they can then know what to do? It's both, right? It's, it's I'm offering them the question which causes them to pause, which causes them to explore and take their own thinking to the next level. Yeah. And ultimately to find their own solution to their own problem, right? That's the goal of my coaching. So it's different than advice giving. It's different than consulting. It's different than, than those types of things. And there are coaches who do give advice and who are consultants. That's not the type of coach I am, but I'm always trying to I'm always trying to ask a question that's really going to help them get to a point of insight. And so my, my work is really about asking good questions. And every time a client, I hear a client say, well, they pause and they'll say, that's a good question. Cause they don't know the answer right away. I love then that. You know, it's a good question. I love when somebody asks me something that makes me pause. <laughs> that excites me. Like I'm always like, that's great. I'm not, I haven't thought about that. Like, it's, it is, it's an invitation. And was it, what did the chef say? An invitation to what? Oh, he says dance with impossibility. Oh, dance with, imp- well, dancing is an invitation too, I think on some level that we may, I may have to link that in the, in the show notes if you think it's worth people checking out. It was incredible. It was so inspirational. And was that why you were told to watch it? I didn't know it? why it was, I don't know. I don't know why we were told to watch it. But when I went in to work out this morning to my gym in my garage, I opened Netflix because that's what I have been watching. And all of a sudden on the screen, Chef's Table pops up. And episode one is the Alan Passard episode, which was my homework assignment, which I did not do for my uh, call that's happening at three o'clock today. And I thought, perfect. I'm so clear. This is what I'm supposed to be doing with the next, the episode's 45 minutes. I exercise for 45 minutes. And I started watching it and I was so inspired. I... I mean, they do all of this classical music in the background and it's very, um, they have a little bit of drama in the music, but they just tell his story and his story of, of creativity and his passion for food. And it started, he said he knew he was going to be a chef when he was 14 years old and he iterated and he iterated and each time like he, he studied, which I thought was a great part of the process Like he he went and studied with different chefs and he learned all that he could learn. And one thing that I love that he said was, you know, you really become a chef between the ages of 40 and 50. Oh. And I thought Perfect. for all those people out there who think that they, it's too late for them to reinvent themselves. You know, you could do something because we, by the time, and you know, there's lots of challenges to aging as you and I both know. Right. And as I, you know, am, now I think two months or less than two months away from my 50th birthday, I realized that the, the unique compilation of the gifts that I have that I'm using in my work have been there all the time. I just never packaged them this way. And I don't think I ever could have when I was in my twenties or thirties. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the takeaway that I want people to walk away with from today's interview is that 
through the inquiry, through the life experiences, through paying attention, through the synchronicities, through saying yes, through the risk-taking, a life is a, I love that word, compilation of those experiences, of that awareness, of growing awareness, and having the courage to then take that action and to meet the universe halfway and see what happens and allow yourself. And and we've, uh, it's interesting because it's like, I believe on some level that when we were born, we've already arrived. So if we could just settle in and know like, we're already perfect, whole and complete. And yet we are constantly becoming through our lifetime. That's what I feel. What would you say? I think we're all an evolution, right? We're constantly evolving and we have to do our part in that evolution. Like we will evolve. And one of the things I do with my clients is this thing called, you know, we do a vision, a visioning process uh, where we look at what their default future would be if they did everything the same and didn't take any risk. And then what their ideal future would be if they identified the things they really wanted to have in their life, both on a professional level and a personal level. And we look at that and we, we take the opportunity to dream. And then from that dreaming, we then bring it back to, to the earth and say, okay, what action, what action can we take to move one step closer to one of those things that you've identified as your dream? I love that. And that's something people can be doing right now, especially if they are in an industry where unfortunately they can't work because they have to be in person with their clients. Um, But anyone who's at home right now and having a hard time, this would be an amazing exercise to gain more clarity and awareness, don't you think? Yeah, to just increase your listening. You know, I think one one of the things that we can hone to help us along this journey is that ability to attune to what's happening around us, what people are saying and what the needs are. So for example, you know, we have a, we have a friend who is my kid's preschool teacher who's, you know, she's wants to serve and her job is uncertain right now to go back to preschool and teach in, in the preschool in person um, and they're not really not doing online stuff for preschool. It's it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. But she wants to, and she also has a son. She has a son who's six years old. So she has to be with him because there's no childcare, right? Um, if she does get a different job. So she's creating a job as a teacher for a group of children. You know, this idea of the pods, which I'm sure you've heard about, to to serve in the community so she can be with her child to share her unique gifts and talents and she's iterating, right? She's creating an opportunity for herself based on the need because she's listening. She's listening to parents say what they need. She's listening to what the children need. And then she's taking action. She's having conversations with people about it. She's looking into spaces. She's looking, you know, at the guidelines and what's possible and what isn't possible. And I think if we can just attune our listening and just hone it, um, no matter what, career we're in and you know as a leader or leaders that I coach it's like how can you listen more deeply to yourself how can you listen more deeply to others how can you listen more deeply to the organization the needs of the clients like all of it it's like instead of imposing your own thinking impose listening I love it and it's one of the best gifts that we can give ourselves 
actually is to create space to listen because our thinking minds want to solve problems and just do just for the sake of feeling some sense of accomplishment for a day. But quieting, asking, the inquiry you talked about and the listening, I, I love that. You use the word iteration. And so we were talking before the mics went on is the question of what is the next iteration of me? Can you speak more to this and how people can play with this concept and this question? Well, it makes me think of an exercise I do in my leadership training with teams. It's a team building exercise called the spaghetti challenge. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but everybody gets, everyone gets 20, you break out into small groups and everybody gets 20 pieces of spaghetti and a yard of uh, twine and a yard of uh, masking tape and a marshmallow. And through that process, you have to work together with your team to create a freestanding structure with the marshmallow um, on top. And it's a really interesting process. And the learnings are so fascinating. And what we know about this particular process is that the, the, the people that do the best at this kind of exercise are preschoolers. And the reason why they do the best is because they're willing to iterate. They're willing to create a prototype, have it fail, learn from the failure, and then create something else based on their learning. So they keep iterating and shifting and adjusting because they're willing to iterate. Now, when, when I've been in organizations with a lot of senior leaders, say like VP level and above, they spend a ton of time thinking, strategizing. Okay, if we do this, you do this role, you do this role. If we do this, will that work? Will that? And all of a sudden, they get 20 minutes to do this exercise. It's 15 minutes in. They haven't started. They haven't started to put anything together. They're not willing to take the risk of it failing. And they need to take that risk in order to iterate. So it's like, how do you, how do you create the next ver- version of yourself? I have no idea. But pick a direction and go in that direction. You're going to get feedback and then pivot. Yeah. And if you're listening and asking questions and having dialogue with all these different you know, things we talked about, ourselves internally, with your journal, with other people, with nature, with all of that, then you're getting information. So you get that information, you use it to go in a particular direction, like the example of the teacher. She's going to try this. She's calling, she's calling spaces. She went and looked at a couple of spaces, and she's gathering a group of parents together to see, is this possible? And it might not be. It might not work out. So she'll pivot. Exactly. You have to be willing to risk failure and know that failure is a part of the path, and it's all fine. I mean, I think we've covered a lot today in terms of the process or whatever. I do have a question though, through your uh, master's in spiritual psychology, there's a philosophy that we are souls having a human experience, which I deeply believe. And I actually think you may have been the person who said that to me and it resonated so deeply. You're like, this is what this program is about. And I was like, I, I need to go to that program, but maybe, maybe at some point I will. But um, any key learnings that have stayed with you from that training that help guide you when you are afraid, when you are scared, when you are uncertain? Any any tools that you can share that you lean back on? 
Yeah. And I use, I use all of them all, all the time for myself and with my clients, you know, I, we shared one of them today. The universe meets us at the point of action. You know, the universe has our back. Everything is working towards our highest good. You know, that all of the experiences that we're ha- that we're having and all of the things that are happening right now, they're not happening to us. They're happening for us. So what do we do with that information? If we, if we view it from that vantage point, it's a totally different experience that you're going to have. You're going to have this learning orientation to life, which is about growth mindset, right? It's like everything is for my own learning and for my own growth. What am I going to do with it now that I've had this experience? What am I going to do with this pandemic? Am I going to be like, whoa, it's me. This is awful. We're all going crazy. We're stuck in the house. Or are we going to shift that and say, what is this time for? Am I supposed to be slowing down? Am I supposed to be speeding up? Am I supposed to be iterating in my business? Am I supposed to be focusing on my children? Am I supposed to be, you know, and just asking those questions and then deciding. And it might change day by day. How does your intuition speak to you? It's like, if I can, if I, I get messages all the time. I think we all do. And we may perceive that they're thoughts. And sometimes they are. The thing that gets in the way of the intuition is our, our mental acuity. So we think that we can outthink our intuition. So then you're playing this ping pong game of intuition and your, your ego mind, right? Your brain, your mental capacity is like trying to second guess your intuition. And usually what happens with me, because I'm a Libra, right? Is I gather all the information and I play it out 400 different ways to Sunday and my brain and processing and thinking around it will all eventually lead me back to the original intuitive hit. And then I'll feel like, okay, it's a yes. Now I've gotten better at better at honing. So that process isn't so long and arduous that I'm like, oh, I think this is like the way I should go. And then I shorten the mental um, gymnastics around it. And I can identify, okay, where is that ego? Where is that self-doubt? Where is that eliminating belief? Where is that something that's really just getting in the way of me saying yes to this? And I did that kind of with this program that I was, that I was considering my next professional development program, the one that I'm, that I mentioned, I was like, should I do it? Should I not do it? I don't know. I get a hit that it's a yes, but I don't, you know, something went wrong with the, the technology and I didn't get the email right away because you had to interview and be accepted for the program. And I'm wondering, was that a technological glitch or is this something that's endemic in the program that I should be worried about? And I knew intuitively that it was a technological glitch. So finally, I got, got on the phone with them and they said, we are so sorry. We had this whole group of, of 20 or 25 coaches where the information didn't get out to them because of a technological glitch. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh my God, I could have saved myself the hassle by just trusting my intuition and knowing that it was just a glitch and signed up for the program. Now, I still signed up for the program, but I had to go through that whole thing to validate my intuition. When I know I can probably just trust it after 50 years on the planet and it guiding me my entire life. So, Marie, I've loved this conversation. Um, can you leave the woman listening with your three best tips on living a good life? The three that I thought about when you asked me the question were number one, make self care a priority. Because 
you're only as good to others as you are to yourself. We have to care for ourselves first in order to be best able to serve. The other is this idea of learning orientation of life. Like take everything that's happening to you and make it happening for you. So apply it, apply it and learn from it and grow from it and know that all is conspiring in your favor, even if it feels negative at the time. And the last thing is it's never, it's never too late to iterate, right? You're not too old. We all need to keep doing this to feel alive. See, that's what risk, risk involves the feeling of, of it's, yeah, it's, it, maybe it requires, maybe it requires courage. I don't even know if it requires courage. It just requires action. And if we don't, we're going to end up in our, our default future, which feels safe, but it doesn't feel alive and rich. And so that's where I try to go with my life and where I try to push my clients to go. And, you know, I know you only asked for three, but the fourth one has to be, you know, follow your intuition. Love it. Love it. And couldn't agree more. Um, Marie, where can people learn more about you and your coaching practice? MERleadershipdesign.com. Awesome. Thank you for such a beautiful conversation. This is such a fun one for me too. It's great to be connecting with you in this way. So thanks for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is Michelle Lamoureux, and you've been listening to the Good Life Coach podcast. Now remember, all of the show notes can be found over at thegoodlifecoach.com. Now I have one favor before you sign off today. If you've benefited from any of the shows that you've listened to and really enjoyed the content, would you be kind enough to take just one minute and rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts? It's how I know what's resonating with you and also it helps other women find the show. Thank you as always for tuning in and I look forward to reconnecting next Wednesday. Bye for now.